Restore and Reconciliation podcast. This podcast is designed to motivate, encourage, and inspire others through raw, truthful conversations and lived experiences to restore and reconcile relationships. Here is what? Live number three. Yeah, live number three, yeah. So we're excited to be here again. Um, just to talk to you guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So welcome to Restore and Reconciliation. And the reason why we started this live slash podcast was to talk about things that we've gone through. Mm-hmm. To give you the raw, truthful conversations that we've had, things that we've gone through in life, and hopes that it helps you guys. So we do want to explain what our what we've been doing with the last three podcasts. And it's not about just telling our stories and the things that we've gone through in life, but we're hoping that it triggers your thoughts in the life that and things that have gone on in your life to help you look at the situations that you've gone through, um, things that have been told to you, and see how it molded you to mm. who you are today. That's a good one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Well, I'm your host, Farrell Times. This is my beautiful wife, Jennifer Times. And uh, we're just going to give you a quick overview. Um, that's a quick um, overview of what we were talking about last week, just to kind of get you guys caught up. So um, if you can, just give us a quick overview of your childhood leading up to where we stopped off, which was like uh, our... Uh, pre-teens, a teen time. Okay, so just a quick overview. Um, My parents were married up until I was about four or five years old. Mm -hmm. They divorced. Um, My mom was a single parent for, I want to say it was about three or four years. About that, yeah, four or five maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my, she had a couple men that she dated in between. And then she met my stepdad. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a rocky relationship once they actually married before they got married it wasn't actually too bad of a relationship with my stepdad and my mom um and that's when things kind of started going downhill from there okay okay um for myself um i was i was raised a single parent mother um but with tons of family members aunties uncles cousins so on and so forth um I found out my mom was sick when I was around eight or so. Um, She was fighting cancer at that time. Uh, She she left my left her significant other that she had for a while. Had a new guy. Uh, He was an alcoholic, um, and then he passed. Um, Then we moved. um, Then we moved to the east side of San Jose. Then we moved again, and so uh, that's pretty much where I'm gonna stop off at. Um, That's where I was. Um, in my life during that time before adolescence. So how about you start us off uh, where you were at, where we were, where we left off? Okay. Um, I want to say we left off with, um, well, I'll just start it off junior high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, junior high school for me into high school wasn't really a good time for me. Um, I was the geeky little girl bob haircut Mm. bangs (laughs) wore glasses 
Yeah. Um, I was really to myself. I had one friend in junior high school, and his name was Kenny. And um, that was really my only friend. Mm. My mom, um, my brother and I, at that time when I went into sixth grade, my brother was still in fifth grade, and that was the first time that I didn't have my brother in school with me. Mm. So it was definitely a transition to be in school by myself and not having any friends and not being very social. Mm. I was very um, isolated. I was to myself. I didn't really talk to people. And so to make a friend, I was pretty excited about. Um, Kenny and I were friends all through junior high school. Um, And so that was sixth grade. I got picked on by um, this Filipino boy. And that went on through sixth grade, seventh grade, and um, my seventh grade year, unfortunately, there was an incident with this boy and his cousins that I did get beat up. And um, my mom was pretty upset over that. And she sent me to go live with my grandmother. Mm. So I lived with my grandmother for a little while, visited with her. Um, And I went to Puerto Rico. And this was the end of my seventh grade year. So my... um, yeah, summer of seventh grade year. Can, can I ask you a question? Sure. So so you were talking about how, I just wanted to recap everybody. So what you were saying is that at that point in time, you were feeling alone. Um, you you felt like you were an outsider, mm-hmm. right? You were, you were the, the geeky kids, to what you say. Um, and uh, then you had this attack by this by this by by these guys. Then you went off to your grandmother's house. How, how was, how did you feel during that time? What? What things within that time built you? Like, what did what did you feel out of that? What what came out of that 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 made you feel a certain type of way, either about yourself, about society, about anything? Honestly, I felt sad. I felt sad for these kids because, well, I was a child at the time myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, these boys, because as children, we are not born out of the womb to hate. Mm-hmm. Um, It's something that we see in society. It's something that we see within our households. And um, I I, I was not only hurt for them, Mm -hmm. but it also made me think, what did I do? Okay. What did I do to deserve this? Okay. And so then going to my grandmother's, um, that was actually my first experience with church. Mm -hmm. I... My grandmother has gone to church and has believed in God my entire life. And, of course, I knew about God and I have heard about Jesus. Um, but I had never given my life to God. I never been really to a church. My experience with church was at a very young age. Um, my dad has worked for Santa Clara University for 34 years this year. Okay. And he took me into the church and my experience was seeing Jesus on the cross and screaming at the top of my lungs in this empty church. And I'm crying and telling him I wanted to go home. Right. Okay. Um, this experience now in junior high school was very different. Um, I would be at the church whenever the church doors were open with my grandma. And I still didn't give my life over to the Lord at that time. But I, I was learning. I was learning who God was. I was learning who Jesus was. 
and reading my Bible and hanging out with the pastor's son mm-hmm. who was actually the first person I, w- I was kind of attracted to mm-hmm. uh, at the end of my seventh grade year. And of course, he didn't want nothing to do with me. I was the geeky girl and, mm-hmm. you know, bob haircut still and my glasses. And I was very to myself, like I said, so it's not mm-hmm. like I approached him or talked to him or anything. So can I ask you a question? During that time, were there any disappointments towards individuals? Um, just hearing your story, it sounded like first it was your dad, then your stepdad had an okay relationship, and then you didn't have an okay relationship. Then you had this situation with these boys. Then you had to move away. Then you felt like it was your fault at some point. Then you felt alone. Like you know, there's there's so many there were so many layers. And my, my question to you is, is when you had those feelings <clears throat> and you were going with your grandmother to church, what? What mindset were you in with all of this happening? What, what was the biggest significant thing in your mind that was molding you to say, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is why I'm doing this or this is why I'm not doing this. Honestly, I was always taught that from my dad mm-hmm. that you don't cry mm-hmm. okay. and you just be strong. Okay. And when it came to my mom and my stepdad, I didn't feel open enough to talk to them. Okay. So I really didn't process those feelings. I just kind of buried them and I didn't pay attention to them. And when they came up, I kept myself busy or I did other things. It was nothing um, nothing that I really processed at that time. Okay, okay, all right. Continue, please, please, okay. very interesting. Um, so that was seventh into eighth so um while i'm in puerto rico living life honestly i felt like nothing could go wrong Mm -hmm. um i love my grandmother very dear dearly and so to be with my my grandmother and my aunt and my cousin um my cousin melinda she was the sister i didn't have um just a little bit about me and her growing up she was always my ride or die she was there with me all the time um so in spanish it's called prima hermana she is um my her mom and my mom are sisters and her dad and my dad are brothers so we're definitely cousin cousins like you can't get any closer other than being sisters Mm -hmm. um so to be able to spend that time with her and, and grow closer with her because she had lived in Puerto Rico for quite a few years at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, when she left, I felt like I lost my best friend. Like I, the only person I had in the world that I talked to about everything. Um, so to be able to go and, and stay with them and, and have that time, I, I really cherished that. And I feel that that helped my healing process mm-hmm. with everything that was going, back, going on back at home. Mm-hmm. And being around people that that genuinely loved me, and you know, those kind of people that you fall down and they kiss your boo boo and tell you everything's going to be okay. Can I ask you a serious question? Within that, do you believe that experience in Puerto Rico with your grandmother? Would you say that that's your beginning time of being seated with the Lord, being seated in what healing means, being seated in what you were learning at church? Would you Would you say that was your first experience? Yes. Okay. All right, that's that's awesome. Okay, because that's kind of what I got out the story. I just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. Okay, that's that's awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and so of course, mm-hmm. my time 
lo and behold, I didn't know it was coming to an end with my family in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And I got a call from my mom. Mm -hmm. And my mom had told me that her and my stepdad had found a house in Tracy. And that um, it would be time for me to come home. And I was had very mixed feelings. I was excited. Um, I asked my mom because being a Bay Area kid and not never really mm -hmm. leaving the Bay Area. Right. Um, I had asked her if Tracy was still in California because I had a feeling my mom moved me out of California. That's pretty funny. Uh, but she laughed and she said, no, it was still in California. It was just a little ways away from San Jose. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother and I, I remember a few weeks later, jumped on a plane, came, came back to the States. And my grandmother told me, she says, I'm not leaving until we find you a church. She mm -hmm. says, I want you to, I want you to stay in church. And... I found that church was an outlet for me. It was a way not only to get away from my family, who I wasn't actually getting along with, but to keep learning about this person, this this person, Jesus. Who, mm -hmm. who was this person? Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, once I got rooted into a church and connected to a youth group, my grandmother left. And that was hard because already having, um, you know, my dad in and out of my life whenever he felt like, being around and not being around, mm -hmm. um, not really having the relationship with my mom that I had previously, and then not getting along with my stepdad and my brother and I never really ever got along growing up. Um, we constantly fought. We were always at each other's throats. And it, I honestly can say that it was a hate thing. And mm -hmm. I know that's a strong word, but my brother and I hated each other. And... Um, you know, church was that outlet for me. And mm -hmm. I finally, you know, found a place that I felt like I belonged. Um, I was learning about God. Mm -hmm. And a significant time in my life was when I went to a play. Um, I actually remember it was called Glory in the Fire. And it was talking about heaven and hell. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. And that was my first experience with God. Mm. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to ride the fence. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to have God in my life. So, man, I cut you off just real quick on mm -hmm. that. So, you saying that at 12, right? Um, so, this was 8th grade. So, so, 13? Yeah, 12, 13. Okay, so 12, 13. You saying that at 12 or 13 um, and going through everything that, you, that you've gone through, right, and that you were going through at that time... That's that's very profound for a preteen to, to feel that way, to feel like they need to, you know, gravitate towards Christ or gravitate towards this spirit. And so in your mind at that time, would you say that you were ready for something or was it just something like you said, it was something empty? Was it what, what were you trying to do at that time with being invested in this Christ thing? Well, my thing was, is at that time with so much hurt in my life at mm -hmm. such a young age, um, you know, having ha raised my youngest brother and taking care of my other, my other younger brother, I, I was hurt, I was angry, mm. um, I felt emptiness, I felt alone, mm. and that experience with God made me realize that there was something, there was something there something bigger than me and something that was comforting me and so i just drew closer to it gotcha gotcha that that's 
That's awesome. That's, that's, that's really awesome that, that you're able to share that. And I really appreciate that. And that really brings a, um, a, a whole understanding of where you were at as a, as a preteen. Um, very, very interesting thoughts that you were having at that young of an age um, in lieu of all the things that you were going through. Um, that was that was crazy to, to say the least. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I would like to say that some of your story kind of connects with my story. Would Would you mind telling? Would you mind if I tell you a little bit about my story? Yeah, sure. I um, hadn't gotten into high school, but well, yeah, no, go no, ahead. no, 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 because we're still we're still kind of like preteen, right? We're kind of preteens. So when you were saying these things that were happening to you, um, I'm just going to go backwards. Like you were saying the things that were happening to you with those guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was having those same experiences on the block. When, I, when we moved, I went from one um, block where there was, you know, a mix of different races. And then I went to a block where it was just me, this little black boy. So feeling that prejudice, feeling that racism, feeling that you're less than, feeling like you, you, you're not going to amount to nothing. Now, we got to recall right before that, I was this little redheaded kid on the block. Then I became the fat redheaded kid on the block, right? So I was getting teased. I was going from this school to that school because I would get in fights and get picked on, things like that. So I, I totally understand what you were experiencing in, in, in that regard of that situation. Um, then also, like you said, you had your father with you. Although I didn't have my father, I had these two different men, right? So it gave me a confusing thought of how men worked. Although I had uncles, although I had people around me, that's not the same to a young man. And, and, and as we're listening to your story, that's not the same with the young woman either of not having her father, a constant person to see, a constant person to communicate with. Uh, you know, so when we were talking about that summarizing, what I did forget in my summary was like men was, was a big thing in my life. Men either being in and out of my, 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 my life or men that were there and I just didn't attach to them because I didn't know how to because of all the uh, all the all the, the, the mixed, mixed thoughts that I had as a young man at that time. Also, like survival was a huge thing for me, just like it was for you. Um, surviving these different, you know, environments was hard. You know, growing up big, growing up small, growing up, you know, it, it was very hard. Um, and then my mom being sick, I always looked at time as being a rush. Like, I just got to do this before this happens. I got to do this before this happens. And so, you know, it, it, it Real really... Real quick, with yeah. everything that you've just said... Mm-hmm. How do you feel that molded you right now? Oh, as an adult? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, as an adult, you know, I'm, I'm almost 40 and I'm just now slowing down. Like, I'm just now understanding that it's, it's not about everybody else. It's about me and my family, right? It's about me and what, what God wants from me, not what everybody else wants. But again, as an adolescent, that's where your mind is at. You're trying to do what everybody else tells you to do. You're trying to do what, you, what the cool people are saying to do, you know, things like that. So yeah, that's where I was at. Um, also within that, it built a lot of strength. It built, it built a lot of walls, but it built me like strong-minded, like go get it. I'm, I'm, I don't care what you say, it doesn't matter. It was just a click of the switch because once I kind of felt it like this, you keep putting a, you know, you keep putting somebody in a cage eventually they're going to fight their way out, right? So once I got that window of opportunity, I just fought. Everything was a fight. Everything I was going to talk back. I was going to see what you're talking about. I was going to fight everything because I felt the world was fighting me, so I had to fight back. So that's kind of where I was at at that time. So I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to talk about how we kind of 
had similar paths, especially, um, one more thing, especially with their youth groups. Like, I was in youth camps. My mom was always trying to keep me in um, with a lot of men around, you know, with, like, youth groups and stuff like that. But I was, it wasn't really clicking for me. Like, I thought it was corny at first. <laughs> and then I went to a couple, like, youth camps, and I was, like, the bad kid that would get kicked out of the youth camps. You know what I mean? Fighting somebody or doing something silly or whatever. So, like, to me, because I was raised in the church, my grandma was part of the church, I was a little kid running up and down the aisles during church. Playing the drums. Mm -hmm. I was the one drawing in the Bible. Like, that was me. Now, I understood (laughs) about God, right? Like, we talked about it. Me and my mom, we read about it. I had the big old child book that had the little, you know, the the pictures in there and everything. But to me, it was like I was was the only child and I was just looking for that acceptance. And I was looking for who's going to love me. And that was the biggest thing. I didn't have that man connection. My mom's dying. Where's the love at? Where's the consistency? And that's where I was at. Like, okay, I'm at, you know, I'm at this world alone at 12 you know at 12 i've already processed that yeah you know? and I, I completely agree you know mm-hmm. um going through everything that i went through looking back as an adult mm-hmm. i didn't realize how much people were trying to love me in their own way mm-hmm. but i wasn't receiving that right because the person i wanted to receive it from was my dad and my dad wasn't giving it to me so i wasn't right. accepting it from anybody else Right. But being a child and being in that situation, mm-hmm. I was the same. I was hurt. I was upset. I pointed the finger at myself like, why mm-hmm. is my dad not loving me? What did mm-hmm. I do wrong? Right. Um, I blamed myself for my dad's addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, when my parents divorced, I felt that that was the reason my dad went to drugs and alcohol. But once I became an adult, I found mm-hmm. out that it was something that he battled with even before I was born. Right. And, and this is the reason why we're doing this. This is the reason why God called us to do this is because there's things, again, we're going backwards for the people, but there's things within our childhood that broke us and that it needs to be restored again. There's relationships that were broken, be it between stepfather and daughter or father and son or what have you. And we'll get into that as well a little later. But th- these are things that need to be reconciled for you to be a functioning adult. You know, a functioning adult with the family, a functioning adult in a relationship, a functioning adult at your job. All these things play a big, huge part for you to be a functioning human being in society is going and going straight forward to the things of your past, be it if they were nightmares, dreams or what have you. But go through them, you know, and talk about them. Um, again, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you did you have some more to say about yourself at 12? I didn't want to go too far in our in our um. ages. No, um, the only thing that was really significant at the age of 12 was, Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe I kind of touched on this in the last podcast, was Mm -hmm. when I had officially kind of cut my dad out of my life. Gotcha. Right. Um, That was right around the age that I finally realized when I was raising my brother Robert. Mm -hmm. Um, With so many emotions, I, I realized either he changes or I go. And that's when I looked at him and I told him, I said, look, you have a problem. You are a drug addict. You're an alcoholic. And if you don't change, I don't want to be around anymore. I'm not here to raise your kids. I am your child. Mm -hmm. And he looked me in my face with no expression. Mm -hmm. Um, I still get emotional over that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... With my little brother in my arms at the age of three years old screaming. Um, He just looked me in the face and said, I have no problem. And if that's your choice, that's your choice. Mm -hmm. 
and he ripped my brother at three years old from my arms kicking and screaming as he's telling me don't leave sis don't leave Mm -hmm. um he puts him back in the truck and he drove away Mm. And that was the last time I seen my dad for 10 years. Wow. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on at 12, you know? Um, yeah. Well. So mm. let's hear about you. Summarize okay. a little bit of what we went over the last podcast. And All let's right. just jump into it. Well, I kind of did a little bit of that in between what yeah. we were talking about. <laughs> um, but I want to say again, like, I... I Looking back, I want to say, like, love from others and companionship was, like, the hugest thing for me as, as, as a young child. And, like, being ripped from certain environments and being moved around, like, I think, you know, I talked about this story before. Like, I had my little girlfriend at nine, right? And that, that's, like, my longest-term relationship at that time was from, like, nine to 12. And then we move again. You know what I'm saying? So, like... You know, I have to keep getting new friends. I have to keep doing all these things. But I want to say for me, my probably the most influential time for me um, had to be eighth grade um, because we moved from like East San Jose, which we broke from East San Jose. Like, but people who know me, I'm sure family and friends who are going to listen to this podcast know I'm going to tell the truth right now. Like, I thought I was like the realest essay ever. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I might be black, but I'm telling you, like, I'm with it. <laughs> you know, so, so like, I was out there really trying to be committed, <laughs> you know? So here I am, this kid, you know, coming from this environment just to be hard. I mean, of course, around my, my family, I didn't want to be like that. But when I was out, I had to be that way. Or I felt I had to be that way, right? So now we go from San Jose to, like, the happiest city in, in America. We moved to Sunnyvale. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying Sunnyfield doesn't have his pockets, but it sure wasn't East San Jose, right? So now I move here to East San Jose. Why are you smiling? You're smiling so much. Uh, I'm just smiling because one thing that we haven't mentioned uh-huh. is our entire lives, we've literally lived blocks from each other. Right, right. And yet God had us meet at a specific time in our lives. Right, right. And it's amazing how... You know, you're talking about San Jose. We mm-hmm. lived around the corner from each other. Then mm-hmm. you moved to Sunnyvale. And the time you moved to Sunnyvale, I was living in Mountain View. Which is right down the street. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So in, in eighth grade, again, like I said, I, I moved to this place. And I'm, I'm in my Pendleton's. I'm in Dickies. I'm in Chuck's going to school in eighth grade, right? Real quick. So in eighth grade, you're talking about how you moved. You mm-hmm. went from one area to another. Right. In the last podcast, you talked about how you've had all your family around you growing up. You Mm -hmm. had your cousins. You had very strong aunties that were around. Right. What made you feel that you had to be so strong, even though you had family around you showing you the love and showing you that that support to say, you know, we're here for you? What made you feel that you were that you had to be so strong like you Mm. were by yourself? Um, I want to say it's it's a it's a double edged sword on that. Um, when you're alone and you close your eyes, you're alone, right? And you're in your room, you're by yourself, you're alone, right? And so out of all the cousins, I'm the only one that's the only one, right? Everybody else had siblings, right? So I never felt like I had that. I know my cousins are right or die. Don't, 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 don't get that twisted. But I'm just saying during that time period, I was just feeling like, you know, I, I got to survive by myself. Sometimes my cousin weren't, was, weren't there on the block when I was there. And some of them are older. There was only one cousin that me and him are, well, there's two, but there's like me and my cousin Jay, you know, Jay, he, me and him are like the same age. So we were always connected. But when I moved to San Jose, he was still 
in the other part of San Jose. So it was really hard to be, you know, feel like you're not alone, although people are trying to love on you, but you still psychologically feel like you're alone, right? And so being in eighth grade and feeling that way, that's, you know, now we're at 13, you are an adolescent at this point. Um, I felt like that. And again, um, my mom tried to put me in certain things and I wasn't having it. And I thought that I was this essay and everything. And there's all these new students. And I really had to like fight my way into that school. Like it, it took a lot. Now, all those people from eighth grade, all those people from eighth grade are like all still my friends to this day. You know, what I mean? you know, like all of them are like my, 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 my homies. But what I'm saying is, is that in eighth grade, the significant thing was, is that I was doing the youth groups and doing all that prior to, I just squashed it once I started seeing my mom get more sick. So to me, it was like, who's this God guy? Like this God's not doing nothing. He's about to take my mom. And although I would have the good face, my thought was like at any time, you know? And so the biggest significant thing of eighth grade was uh, my pastor, Pastor Lance. At the time, he wasn't a pastor. He was just a youth group counselor. You know what I mean? And he comes to our door and here's this white guy with blonde hair from Santa Cruz talking about, yeah, I want to preach the gospel to, you know, the hood kids. You know, although, <laughs> again, it's Sunnyville, but there's certain pockets, right? And so I'm like, and I'm, I'm seeing the kids that are in the van and I've seen these kids at school. I'm like, these ain't no suburb kids. Like, these are some hood kids, you know? So I'm like, what's this white guy going to, you know, teach me, right? And so my mom was like, no, you're going with him, <laughs> you know, go with him. And so that, that, that built a huge relationship between me and a man that I was like, I, I don't even know if this is real. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to attach myself to this. So that was a huge fight even between him and I. Um, to like get acquainted and to communicate. And once I started learning about him and I learned about God and him being a man of his word, him, if he said he was going to show up to something, he showed up. If he said he was going to come at a certain time, he came at a certain time, you know? Um, and so to me, that was very, very, very impactful to me in my spirit of my adolescence. Cause at that time I was still, although I was 13, I was drinking, I was smoking. I was, I was doing these things to try to fill this void of loneliness or fill this void of if it happens, I'm already numb. You know, if my mom dies, I'm numb. If this happens, if another person dies, I'm numb. At that time, like already three people that were very significant in my life had already passed. So everything that you're doing Mm -hmm. is to prepare. Correct. Everything was to prepare. And you had mentioned something about doing all this to be numb. Mm -hmm. What made you think being numb was going to help you rather than feeling the emotions? I think at the time, especially being, you know, 13, you're only hanging with 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, to a certain age. And that's what I saw them do. And the conversations that we would have, be it if they were serious or non-serious, was around we're doing, you know, we're smoking or we're drinking to numb whatever pain that we're experiencing, right? Um, sex also, porn also was, was, was a big part of my life at that age. And so... It was just for me to get an outlet to feel something, to feel something outside of what I was feeling. And that's a, that's a very good question. Those, those are some real good questions. And that's, that's pretty much what happened. Um, but within eighth grade, there was a huge change. And within eighth grade, it was a huge change of like opening of the eyes. Like, I don't have to be Mr. Hardcore all the time. I don't have to be this guy. I can be me, which was a true artist. You know, I grew up with, you know, the 80s with graffiti. So I was a true artist. I, my, my gear started changing. My personality started changing. And people started seeing that. The school started seeing that. I, I, I did my logo for the eighth grade. You know, I did paintings. I did things like that. And so 
I started actually being me, but it wasn't without that youth group. It wasn't without the Lord. It wasn't without Pastor Lance. It, it, these things that were I was pushing away started coming towards me, but because they were consistent and constant, then I, I adapted to it. I, I adhered to it. So what happened that you had that aha moment, that moment of saying, I can be Pharaoh. I don't have to be some Mexican vato that I'm not or drinking and smoking or anything like that. What what was that aha? What made you have that aha moment? Um, it definitely came in pieces. Um, I think the drinking and smoking, we'll, we'll talk about that. That kind of continued. But the change of myself came when people were having real conversations with me, with friends like like uh, Chaz, my, my, my boy who's still my boy to this day, Cameron, Dante, um, those guys that I was able to go to their house and speak with their moms. You know, some of them had their, their dads with them. Some of them were single parent mothers. And I got, to, we really had to, you know, we really had real conversations. And these are the same mothers like I had chores at their house. If I got in trouble at home, I got in trouble at their house, right? So I started feeling welcomed and I started feeling like I can be me. I started feeling Oh, I can be open, right? And um, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you the exact moment. <clears throat> I can just tell you it was a course of some time that I started building myself. I started talking more. I started communicating with people more. I started, you know, going out and doing things that I normally wouldn't have did before. Right? <clears throat> yeah. So you you kind of stopped off in in like eighth grade, just like I just did. How about you continue on like going into like high school and what have you? Well, high school was another big, a big change for me because, mm-hmm. again, um, when I came back from Puerto Rico, my brother and I, being in Tracy, couldn't go to the same school. Mm-hmm. So, of course, me thinking, okay, I'm going to have my brother back at school. I didn't. The school that he was at, which was Williams, mm-hmm. um, was full. And so they sent me off to another school that was further away from my house. Mm-hmm. And so, again, came the loneliness and... Through my brother, I actually got to meet my best friend, and mm. she is still my best friend to this day, um, is Andrea. Mm-hmm. She was somebody who just accepted me for me. Mm. And, you know, maybe I live vicariously through her because she was a cheerleader and on the dance team and, you know, was so outgoing and talked to everybody. And I was just this recluse. I didn't talk to anybody but her. I hung out with her. Um, even when we'd go places, like Mm -hmm. I was the fly on the wall that didn't say anything and, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody ever really knew my name. Mm. And when I got to high school, it was the same thing. Junior high school, high school was the same. So that transition without my brother, um, but Andrea was there. And Mm. so at least I had that one person, um, and going back, um, about mid-year, my freshman year, Mm. When I had told my friend Kenny from junior high school I was leaving and that I'd be moving, he was, he laughed. He's mm-hmm. like, I, I don't even know where you're going. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, keep in touch. And mid-year, my, my freshman year, I'm mm-hmm. in English class, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden somebody walks through the door and it caught my attention. Mm-hmm. It was Kenny. Oh, that's funny. And I was like, wow. I have two friends, two friends that I know. Um, And Kenny was pretty happy to see me. I was happy to see him. Who would have ever thought we'd end up in the same place? Mm -hmm. Um, I truly believe God has things happen for a reason. I'm a very firm believer in everything in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, when people ask, oh, would you go back and change? I wouldn't change my life for anything okay. because it's made me who I am. But um, that, so those were like real big uh, people in my life. And it was just pretty awesome. So my life kind of started getting better at that time. And I felt a little bit happier because I had my two friends. Gotcha. And being able to be open with them and talk to them, I didn't feel as alone, unfortunately, going back home. Mm-hmm. The loneliness so, came back. But So and that was like you, you, you kind of were going into my question. So were you still feeling that same way at 11, 12, 13? You're still feeling the same way at 14. So did it... Was it was it worse? Because we know fourteen year old girls. Was it a little worse? Was it just same? Like, where, where would you put yourself in a meter of how you were feeling? It was about the same. It was about the same. Okay. It was about the same because okay. it was just that same feeling of that I felt before. Gotcha. Just being alone, not having my you know my dad around now permanently, not having my dad around by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it 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 was that same lonely loneliness. Okay, all right. Well, if you don't mind, I'm gonna kind of jump into mine real quick. Um, so that, that's crazy that you had a change as well. Again, at the same at 13, right? And so for me, going into high school, there wasn't really a huge change. I think we talked about this the other day. There wasn't a huge change for me to go to high school because it was everybody from my eighth grade class, mm-hmm. right? So like all of us was there. So it was, it was amazing, right? So, you know, I was on the football team and, you know, met all the upperclassmen. Now at this point, to be quite honest, at this point, like now, I thought I was a Mac daddy. Like that, like now I was like, I, I knew all the pretty girls from eighth grade, but like now this is new, this is high school. I'm going to Mac on you know, seniors, right? Juniors, right? Because here I'm this tall dude. They don't know what grade I am. You know what I mean? So I did a lot of macking at that time. I did a lot of talking to girls at that time, again, to fill that void, right? So I did a lot of those things. But the hardship that happened between that time was that my sophomore year, leading up to my sophomore year, I had moved to my um, aunt's house. So I was with my mom, but my mom was getting so sick that they, they, they moved me to my aunt Sandy's. And so now this is a moment where I got my two cousins there that, you know, that are like my brothers. Yes. Real quick. So you keep talking about this void. Mm-hmm. Your mom's still around. Yes, mm-hmm. she's sick. Mm-hmm. Why do you have this void? It's, 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 I would say at that point in my mind, it was like leading up to, uh, to the inevitable, right? It's almost like, you know how people say now that we're older, it's called discernment, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I knew, like, my mom's mom wasn't around, and, you know, I think she was 11, I do believe, when she passed, when, when her mother passed, and I never met her, obviously. But, um, so, knowing what was going on, and although my mom was fighting something so long that they said it was only going to be a year or six months, she's, you know, this is now, you know, year six, I do believe, I'm like, it's, it's at any time. And again, when you're going through year six, your mind, or year five, you're going in your mind, like, any time, Right? And again, I'm a young man. I have all these emotions and these hormones and, you know, I'm transitioning. I'm trying to, you know, form into this butterfly and I'm just, I'm, I'm going bananas. So all these things are just happening. And now again, another move. Now, what I was saying is I was moving with my aunt Sandy and she had two sons and I, my mom was like their babysitter. So they were like my, my brothers, like my little brothers, because again, I was the youngest at one point. So they were like my little brothers. And I remember, you know, um, being with them all the time and, this is this is one thing to me that was like always holds in my brain 
my the, the youngest one, Everett, I remember one time we're in our room, he's in his room, he's, he's sharing with his brother. And I remember one time, cause he knows my mom, right? He was raised with my mother. And he goes, hey, um, why, why, why aren't you at your mom's? And I was just like lost it, like crying, everything, you know, just the way that he was so pure with the asking of the question. And I want to say he was like five or six or something. And so I was just like, like balling. they say from the mouth of babes. Right, right. right. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. And it, it was very hard that that move was so crazy, but I needed that move. Like when I moved there, the reason why I said I needed that move is because like I got to see my aunt and my uncle in a, in a relationship, like a real relationship. Now, again, I see my aunts, I see my uncles, I seen them, but this is I'm actually living with them and I'm seeing them in this relationship, this husband and wife relationship. And I've seen how they dealt with each other during, you know, arguments or situations. And then I, I learned how to deal with my brothers. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning these things because I'm older and I'm getting to know what's going on. Now, at this point, I'm a sophomore. And again, I'm already feeling this in the inevitable. Right. So I remember I was at football practice. Me and my boys were playing, you know, we're, we're lifting weights. And my aunt comes in. Now, again, all my boys met my mom. My mom's one of those moms. She meeting everybody's parents. She's meeting everybody. Right. So we're lifting weights. And um, I remember my aunt walks through and everybody just like looking super sad. Again, they know my mom. Right. And I'm like, what's going on? Because I, I want to lift this heavy weight. You know, I'm this I'm this big guy. I want to lift this heavy weight. And I lift it. And I know I couldn't lift it. But at this point, I lifted it and I dropped it. And they're all looking sad. No cheers. I'm the only one like, yeah. And then I see my aunt and then I, you know, we all knew it and they all gravitated towards me. Again, I think that's the reason why we're all still close to this day. But that that was like the defining moment for me. Like that was the moment like that's it. You know, the world's that's it. Everything's done. Doesn't matter what anybody says. You know, that's that's where I was at at that point. So like that abandonment, and those feelings were coming back. And when that happened. Mm hmm. So you had already mentioned how you were already like, God, God, who he's taking my mom. Mm -hmm. Once your mom passed, how were your feelings about God in that moment? Because she was so God fearing and because my grandmother, my great grandmother, who was still alive at the time, was so God fearing. Like I was just like, y'all talking about some magical dude. Like all these movings we had to do, all these situations with these men and this abuse and this physical abuse and this emotional abuse and all these things I had to, you know, go through as a young person. And it's like, I'm 13, 14, like, you know, I think at this time I'm 15. What, what do you want from me? Like, there's no way that this God exists if my, my life is this bad. Now, again, when you're telling this story to an adult and you're trying to explain this to an adult, adults like, well, that's not that bad. And talking to some of my family members, like they live through civil rights. You know what I'm saying? So they're like, really, it's not that bad. You didn't have to go drink out of water fountain. You didn't have to do this. Right. So it was really hard at that time to really get people to understand and grasp where I was coming from, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so again, that feeling of aloneness, the feeling of abandonment, that survival mode instantly clicked back on because it's all about me. It didn't matter who was around me. It was just about me. You know, um, and so, again, I went back to dealing with, you know, the sex and the drugs and the alcohol. I was already doing that. But then, like, it was on, like, another hiatus after that, because after that, I moved again. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right. And with that move, mm -hmm. do you feel that that was an easy choice? Like, once your mom passed, did you feel that it was an easy choice? Okay, this is who I'm going to live with. Or was it a decision of you need to make that right now, now that your mom passed and there wasn't much time to decide? It was, 
you know, living with my aunt and my uncle, like my uncle was very, very big and like, you know, son, you don't have to go anywhere. You know, you're staying here. Right. My pastor was like, hey, it doesn't don't worry about it. We're going to keep in touch. All my friends were like, we're going to keep in touch. And again, like that whole eighth grade came to my mom's funeral. Right. And they all gathered around me. And I think for me, it was just like right or wrong. Like I had to make a decision. Right. And I had to make the right decision. I could stay here and still would be my, my friends and still do that. Or I'm looking at my aunt and saying, this is her sister, you know. I want to go love on her and at least let her because I'm the only thing left of her. Right. Their mother's passed and it's just her. This wasn't just her sister. Yeah, this is her twin sister. Right. And I'm just as goofy as she is. I look like her all types of stuff. So at that point in my mind, I made that thought that the conscious thought like it would only be right for me to go live with my aunt. You know, it would be wrong for me to take that away from her because she was always there. She was there every day. She would call all the time. She'd be there all the time. So it would it wouldn't be right for me to be at my aunt's house, my other aunt's house and not her twin sister's house. That's how I felt about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then so at that point, should I continue? Yeah. So then at that point, we um, I moved now to Tracy. Now, <laughs> this is where our, our stories again. We've always lived down the street. You know, I moved to Tracy, right? I moved to Tracy my my uh, my junior year, and I was like, "What's going on here? Like, this is the suburbs. Like, I've never been down a place where I've seen million dollar houses everywhere, right? I've never seen kids driving Mercedes. Like, this was on TV. This is on Clueless. To me, this was Clueless. To me, this was the movie Clueless, literally, right? And so I'm this kid, like, you know, it's not like I was back in my Valto gear, but I was wearing regular. San Jose clothes, right? And I'm like, these kids got on, you know, Gucci this and Guess and all the stuff that was out then, right? With Tommy Hill figures and Jordans and stuff. Like I had FUBU and whatnot. We'll get into that. But I had FUBU and whatnot. But again, that wasn't what was going on. I, I, I really felt like I'm an outsider. Again, I'm in a house with my aunt, with my uncle, with my, with my, with my cousin. And again, they loved on me. It's all, it was all in my mind. Like I wasn't getting that love and that companionship that I was used to either from my mom or from my friends. Cause now I'm totally away and I'm by myself yet again. So my question to you is, cause it, it kind of sounds similar to me. Like mm-hmm. there were people there to love on you, mm-hmm. but you weren't accepting it. Mm-hmm. Now looking back as an adult, why do you think that is? I think a lot of that had to play with, you know, media, right? I think a lot of that had to play with, you know, the things that we were listening to, the things that we were watching. Um, I think that also had to play with uh, not really having real conversations. Like, you know, we, we lived in an era where our parents <clears throat> had to work. So it, it was very hard for them to sit down and have a real solid conversation and for us to even process what kind of questions would we ask our parents. You're not here, right? You're working or when you get home, you're tired. You want a beer or some wine. You want to go to bed. So it was really hard. I, I we think grew up latchkey kids. Right. So I, I think for me, that's that's what it was. Like, I just I didn't know what to say. The person I was open to is gone now. Um, anybody else was like, they're a whole 93 miles up the street. So it's like... I, <laughs> I mean, my little cousin, me and her were always close, but there wasn't too many huge conversations I can have with her because she was in middle school at this time. So I'm like, what? Are we? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So that, that was a hard piece of, of pie to, to, to bite into at that time. But again, moving to Tracy, um, I adapted the best way that I could. 
still with the with the Mac and thinking I had mouthpiece, had girls to supplement my feelings of alone, alcohol, drinking, sex, stuff like that, you know. And then may may I may I continue this story? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know where I'm going to, right? Mm-hmm. So so being there at this school again, I I you know I was on a football team, I did all that, and I had all these different kinds of girls, and I'm walking through. Um, it was right by the flagpole at, at West, and I'm walking through, and I'm talking to one specific girl. I forgot what her name was, but I remember she was, you know, she was. She one wasn't of the, that important. If you no, she wasn't. She wasn't. And so, and so, I'm talking to her, and like across my eye, I see this girl with these baggy pants on, these baggy sweatshirt on, some bangs and some glasses, and my 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 whole being just stopped, like. Everything in my life just went on pause and I saw this aura of this of this woman and I was like, she's amazing. And that's where we're going to stop. That is where we're going to stop. We want to say thank you Mm -hmm. for hopping on again. We just want to remind you guys, this isn't just about us talking about the things we've gone through in life. It's to help you guys, whoever jumps on, even if it's one person to think about the things that you've gone through in life and see where you've come from and the way you react to things, maybe the way you think. Mm -hmm. But it's to trigger those thoughts so that you go back and you can say, you know what, this the things I went through molded me into who I am today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there may we're all human. There's things that we're not proud of. My husband will tell you I'm spicy, Mm -hmm. but I come back. And I've learned to say I'm sorry instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to stand my ground and be bullheaded and not say I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But having gone through counseling and reading all the books that we've read and mm-hmm. things that that we've done, through just being in church and getting into prayer, it's changed our perspective like completely. And we just want to offer that opportunity to other people and see it through somebody else's eyes. I, I 100% agree. I hope that. You know, our story just kind of triggers, like you said, triggers some thoughts. Hopefully, you know, you're, 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 you're interested in our story and, you get it, and, you know, you're, and you're intrigued by our story, but also that maybe some of those things that we've went through, you've went through. Some of those things that you can share and say, okay, I'm, I may still be dealing with those situations. Um, how can I voice those things? What questions do I have? So we also would love for you guys to ask us some questions. Um, you know, you could text in. Um, we're gonna have a, a a way that you can call in. We're gonna do all these different things moving forward. Again, this is just our third episode, but we want you guys to to not only just hear our stories, but but learn from our stories and ask questions and and be open. Um, we believe that opening, op- being open and being honest is the is the best way to be with yourself first. Then moving on to being, you know, relationships with others. Because sometimes people have hurt us and we have to go back to, but sometimes we have to go back to ourselves. It's about so, making those amends. Exactly, exactly. So, again, we thank you for tuning in to another uh, Restore and Reconciliation um, live and on podcast. Um, any closing thoughts? No closing thoughts, but I do just want to give a shout out to... You know, our business. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned last time that we are doing a fundraiser. Um, It's called Be a Part of Their Hearts. And we have raised $386 towards our $2,500. So that so far has been able to purchase some of the items that we're trying to get for our parents by choice here in Stockton. So, you know, as I say, it takes a village. And that village is stepping up and coming together to provide for our children. 
because it's not just someone's children that are in the foster care agency. It's our children. Amen. They are ours. And Amen. it's up to us to show them that they have a community out there that loves them and that they can depend on. And that is what we're doing with our business is giving back to the community. And I am super excited because I'm already working on next month's fundraiser. So stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Who else would you like to shout out? Um, I want to shout out Coco Love Care. I've said this before, but I wanted to actually bring it on. Um, it's all natural or organic. It smells phenomenal. Mm. Now, I've been using this for like two weeks, and this is all I've used. And I'm a big guy. If you We've know me. We've both been using it. Oh, no. This is the one I've been using. I, oh. She don't know that I gave her hers, and I've been using mine. But anyhow, this is mine, and this is the one I've been using. And um, I've been putting it all over, and this is as much as I use for two weeks. I mean, it's amazing. It stretches. It's great. Um, also, I want to take, you know... Uh, Give a shout out to to uh, Brilliant Fitness. He's been getting us right. So yeah, thank you, cuz. I know he's out there on vacation, but I'm gonna keep it right. I'm gonna do my sixties in the morning, do my videos. I'm gonna keep it up. Um, Troy's House of Fish and Chips, man, you're awesome. Still waiting for my fish and chips. <laughs> she said it three times, bro. You might have got to come through with it. Um, also, Rags and uh, Restore Stockton. Um, anything else? That's it. That's it. Thank you guys again. We appreciate you. God bless you. Thank you. Have a great night. See you guys next week. Restore and Reconciliation Podcast believes in supporting entrepreneurs and local businesses. Scented Memories provides unique, high-quality products aimed to invoke loving memories, warm the heart, and revitalize the senses. Who's stuck at home, not wanting to go to a gym, but still wants to work out? Or maybe you are at a gym, but just don't know what to do. Fear no more with the power to devour. At Braille Fitness, it is my mission to provide superior virtual home and gym training through accountability to build upon your fitness goals. Claim your dream body today by signing up for a three-month course in which we will obtain a healthy lifestyle for years to come. Hey, this is Troy from Troy's House of Fish and Chips, where we bring a new and approved take on fried fish as well as our famous unleavened muffins. You can reach us at TGCali67, that's TG. C-A-L-L-I-6-7 on Instagram, where your taste matters. Coco Love Care is natural, organic, alkaline, vegan, homemade, and cruelty-free hair and skin products. For more info, go to CocoLoveCare.com. Stockton Rags stands for Restore Art and Graphic Styles. It's a mentoring-based design screen printing program located in the heart of Stockton, California. Please follow us on Instagram at Stockton Rags or Restore Stockton. Info at RestoreStockton.com. Restore Stockton 
is a nonprofit organization. Their mission is to see restoration in people's lives and in their city, socially, physically, economically, and spiritually through restoring, education, mentoring, and training. Restore, encourage, empower, equip. For more information, please visit www.restorecity.com.